Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. So if you haven't already, go ahead and grab your Bible, your journal, maybe some notes, or maybe open up the COH app on your phone to follow along in the sermon notes. Go ahead and do that now. We're going to jump right into our message for today. And we're really excited because we're going to be starting a brand new four-week series across the month of August that we're calling, Who is God? Everyone say that with me. Who is God? And you might be looking at that and going, duh, Pastor Trevor. We, We all are in church. We all know who God is. Last time I checked, nobody got tricked or confused into coming in in here today thinking it was Home Depot on accident, right? Like, who is God? Duh, man. Can you not come up with anything better than that? I mean, really, what do you, do you really think we don't know who God is? It's not as easy as it might seem. And so for some of you going, who is God? I mean, duh, what are we doing? Just hang with me for a moment. It's actually a really pertinent question right now in this cultural moment that we're facing. Let me explain. There was um, a huge data set of research that just came out recently where um, a group called, I think it's the Ipsum uh, Research Group, Ipsus Research Group. Uh, The Ipsus Research Group is a multinational company that's one of the biggest market research companies in the entire world. And they do research and uh, polls and marketing for all sorts of different multinational companies. And they came out with a report um, a couple weeks ago, just very, very recently, where they did a global study on the state of religion across the world in 2023 in many different countries. And they had a lot of different interesting findings. One of the things that was most fascinating about their study was a growing gap and how generations between the baby boomer generation and between the upcoming and ascending Gen Z generation uh, practice their faith and their spirituality. Now, I'll bore, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll bore you. <laughs> I'll skip all the boring details. And I'm about to bore all of you. Um, I'll skip all the boring details and I'll just cut right to the chase. What the study says is that the younger you are, Okay, the younger you are, the more likely you are to be very spiritual, but less religious. Here's what they mean by that. The younger you are, statistically speaking, the more likely you are to believe in the spiritual realm, in the supernatural, in God and the devil and in heaven and in hell. At the same exact time, way less religious and identifying with not identifying with any major form of world religion, like Christianity, Judaism, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, whatnot. In previous generations, if you're from a maybe the baby boomer generation, people were agnostic or atheistic, or you were religious and spiritual. They were one and the same thing. Now it's been bifurcated. You can be very spiritual, but not religious. And so this question starts to become more pertinent when you understand where culture is going globally, and especially in the West, and especially in America. Now, I know this to be true, not just because of statistics I've read in a report that I read, but I've heard this and seen this in my conversations, uh, and in my life, and in my experience as a pastor. Here's one of the reasons why I know this. Um, I know this because I like to, um, I pay attention to the types of books 
that people buy. And I love books, and I'm a book nerd. I just am. And uh, I went to Barnes & Noble a few months ago to go buy a book. And um, I've actually read an article this past week that Barnes & Noble is making a comeback a little bit, business-wise. Good, because I love the smell of a good bookstore. Don't you? Yeah. And uh, so Barnes & Noble um, was making, so I went into Barnes & Noble in a physical bookstore to go buy a book for a gift for a friend. And I saw a beautiful section uh, there was an end cap near the front of the store um, that was on spirituality. and had 25 different types of books that were all similarly beautifully branded together. They're just gorgeous-looking books. And it was spirituality. None of it was any major world religion, not Christianity, Judaism, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism. It wasn't any of those things. It was all spiritist practices or kind of like New Age spirituality. And some of the books are, um, were like um, uh, palm reading, tarot card reading, um, uh, shamanism, uh, a thing called Wicca, a thing called divination. And you know, this is not in like the back corner of Barnes & Noble. This is at the front of Barnes & Noble on its own end cap. Why? Because it sells. Because people are buying books like this. Make sense? Follow with me here. Now, um, I'm not here judging anybody who practices any of those spirituality things, who is not yet a follower of Jesus. That's not my place. As a Christ follower, I'm just of the belief that Christianity offers a better alternative and the real version of the transcendence that those people are seeking. Make sense? Yeah. So, um, so it just tells me, huh, people are buying these books. Now, in the, right now, I sound very mature, um, but I didn't have anybody to have this conversation with while I was at Barnes & Noble, so I decided to be helpful. And I decided to do some loving rearranging of books there. <laughs> and uh, I, I went and found the biggest, fattest, most ornate looking King James Bible I possibly could. <laughs> and I put it right in the middle of the shelf. <laughs> And then out of the corner of my eye, I saw another book that I thought, oh, they're going to need the Bible, and they're probably going to need this book, too, if they're engaging in some of this stuff, just for fun. And then because I was so proud of myself, I took a picture of it. <laughs> Do you want to see my two books that I put on the shelf? All right, so this is what the picture I took when I was done. There's the Bible. and. <laughs> I'm just saying the world needs more Jesus-loving Ghostbusters. Who are you going to call, you know? Come on. <laughs> I, I literally walked out the store, got in the car, and called Pastor Dale, and <laughs> you won't believe what I just did. <laughs> anyway, take that down, take that down, take that down. Okay, so like back, back to our question. Back to our question, okay? Who is God? Now, it's a totally valid question to ask in our culture. Go, does God exist? And if there is a God, is he real? Like, that is a valid scientific philosophical debate and conversation to have that I wish more people had. That's a great conversation. At the same time, culturally, what's happening is that conversation is happening less. And the questions people are asking more now isn't, does God exist? But which God exists? And when you say the word God, what do you mean when you say the word God? And who is God? So, 
uh, we want to speak to the cultural moment about that. Who is God? Because what Christianity offers is a gift to humanity because we believe that human philosophers haven't answered this question, even though philosophy is not bad, philosophy can be good, but that God himself has come to us to answer the question of who is God. So we're going to jump into our our very first passage for this new series today. If you have your Bible, go ahead and grab it now. We're going to jump into Genesis chapter 28. And as you're grabbing that, quick little background. Oh, no, let's just jump in. I'll tell you when we're done. If you're you're able, would you please stand for the reading of God's word, if you're able? And uh, we're going to read Genesis chapter 28, verses 10 through 22. And this is a story about a man named Jacob, who we're going to learn about right now. It says this, Jacob left Beersheba and sent out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. And taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on earth with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And there above it stood the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you. And will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in, surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. And early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey, I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household. Then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house and all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. All right, so let's talk about what we just read. The story is about Jacob. Jacob is known as one of the patriarchs of the Jewish faith. There's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, what's fascinating in this passage is Jacob is like a lot of us who begin faith. He is grand, he's heard of his grandfather's faith. He knows of his dad Isaac's faith, but it's not yet become his faith. He has what Pastor Dale always calls the residue of remembered religion and inherited faith. It's his family's faith, but it's not really his own yet. And many of us can totally identify with that. Well, this is what my previous generations did. This isn't necessarily what I'm doing yet. And we're reading in the story here of how God of the God of Abraham and Isaac became also the God of Jacob too. It's where Jacob found his faith because God began to show himself to Jacob. Now in the passage, what's fascinating is it talks about this 
um, heavenly stairway that shows up. Now, it's often called um, Jacob's Ladder. Sometimes people call it the stairway to heaven. Some of you are hearing Led Zeppelin right now. <laughs> Last week, I talked about Metallica. This week, there's a Led Zeppelin reference. A little bit of rock and roll, okay? Um, so this has made its way to our cultural lexicon. Whether you've read the story or not, you've heard pieces of the story. Um, this would have hearkened to what Jacob understood uh, in his ancient culture in ancient Mesopotamia, where um, they would build artificial mountains, put a huge staircase on it where people go to worship their gods or their deities that they had. In fact, here's ruins of one. Um, they, they're called ziggurts, uh, ziggarts. And um, I think I'm pronouncing that right. Sure. Um, and so... They're old stairs. <laughs> and what people would do is they would build this artificial mountain where their, their god or their deity would uh, be represented at the top of this. And to be a human peasant to climb up the stairs, you had to climb up the stairs and then ascend the mountain and worship the god that you worship there. This is how the whole ancient world worked. So Jacob would have recognized some of this, but then God flips the script throughout the whole story. I'm very excited to share with you. So Jacob has the dream. It's a stairway, not to an artificial mountain, but to actually heaven itself. It's not a fake. It's the authentic, real version of this. And then God begins to speak to him in Genesis 28, 13. And he says, there above it stood the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, the God of Isaac. So right away, God is defining who he is and introducing himself to Jacob. Hello, I am this God. That's very different than humans figuring out who is God. God starts with I am and who he is. This is a theological concept that if you're taking notes, write this down. It's called the word revelation. Revelation. Now, by a revelation, what I don't mean is the book of Revelation at the end of the Bible. We're not talking about that. This is the more the theological term of how God reveals himself to people and how God shows who he is to people. This is not humanity, humanity's search for truth. This is truth itself in search of humanity. It's very different. This is all over the pages of the scripture. Check this out. This is Isaiah 65, verse 1. And the Lord said this to the prophet Isaiah, I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. To a nation that did not call on my name, I said, here I am. Here I am. And what the testimony of all the pages of the Christian scriptures says is that the God of the Bible is the one who's going like this to all of humanity. I'm right here. And he's trying to show people what he's like, revelation. And we're going to be talking that in different layers about how God shows us what he's like across this series. But for today's purposes, let's just talk about, let's unpack revelation. It comes really in three major categories for how God goes about revealing himself to people, how he did it for Jacob, and as an archetype, how he does it for you and for me and for everybody online as well. So first off, there's general revelation. Now, this is what theologians call the type of how God is trying to get the attention of humanity by revealing himself and his nature and revealing his presence to people, that he's real and that he exists. Um, and maybe, we'll say, how do I say this? 
I got ahead of myself. General revelation is really how God is doing this. It's called general because it's how God generally does this to every single person on planet Earth. If you're alive, you're experiencing this right now. Even if you're not necessarily sold on faith and spirituality, we believe God is working this way in your life right now. Uh, The great theologian John Wesley, the founder of our tradition, called this prevenient grace. It's the type of grace that goes before we reach out to God. God goes first and is working this way in all of our lives. And so there's really five ways that God works a general revelation across the globe where he's revealing himself to people. First off is basic knowledge of God, where it seems to be anthropologically speaking that every human being ever, like every human culture ever has like a God-shaped hole in it. And that every human society ever has some form of spirituality or faith or religion where they're trying to reach out to the other side of something transcendent. It's a human phenomenon. It's only a very new idea. If you're charting the course of all the human history, it is an extremely new idea that human civilizations were not sure if God existed or not. That's really new. Human societies all over the globe all have some sort of basic knowledge of the divine, that something else is out there. Now, let me illustrate this here for example. So here's a picture of a beautiful sunset on the West Coast in L.A. Very pretty, right? Um, Pastor Jeff McIntosh, uh, he's teaching at the Lake Worth campus today. I love Pastor Jeff. Anybody here love Jeff and the McIntosh family? Aren't they just great? Love them. And um, somebody said, maybe... Jeff's brother said maybe. <laughs> I'm outing you. <laughs> anyway, um, so Jeff, t- Jeff talked about, if you know Jeff, one of his favorite stories when he tells his story, um, he goes, I did not always used to look like Mr. Rogers. <laughs> um, when Jeff was younger, Jeff dropped out of high school and hitchhiked across the country from Boston all the way around the country following the Grateful Dead on tour. I know, we have, no, we don't have a photo. I'm so sorry. I know, but not bad. I'm hitting Metallica, Led Zeppelin, Grateful Dead. What are we doing, right? Anyway, so he hitchhiked, dropped out of high school to follow the Grateful Dead on tour all across the country. Crazy. He eventually made it to the West Coast all the way to California. And when he saw a sunset on the beaches of California, I think it was in LA in his story, something clicked inside of his head and heart and went, I think there might be a God. It's like when people get exposed to beauty and majesty, something inherently starts working inside of them. There might be God. Maybe you've looked up at the night sky and seen stars. Maybe you went camping or you went hunting or maybe uh, the power went out in your neighborhood and there was no light pollution. You could just look up and see the stars in the sky. I have a friend who's a pastor who was a self-defined, stubborn militant atheist, his words, not mine. And he said one time he went up and looked at the night sky when he was out in the wilderness where there's no light pollution and he lost faith in his atheism. That God was real. Here's a picture of the Grand Canyon. Anybody ever been to the Grand Canyon before? It's on my bucket list. I I haven't been yet and I really want to go. Um, People can look out at the Grand Canyon and go, (sighs) when you see breathtaking majesty like that does something in the human soul. Like, and I don't care how gruff or how manly you are. This does it. In fact, one of the manliest characters ever on TV, the great Ron Swanson said this, (laughs) 
crying is acceptable at funerals and the Grand Canyon, right? And if Ron Swanson sheds a tear because of the majesty of what they see at the Grand Canyon, it opens the human soul. Now, even if necessarily it's not necessarily something in nature, but another part of creation that takes your breath away, there might be God, is maybe like when you've had a kid or a grandkid. Maybe if you've adopted a child. I mean, here's a picture of my dad right after I was born. There's my dad, and I look like I'm 85 years old. <laughs> and uh, my dad always said that he, he had faith. Like, he had faith. It wasn't, like, he wasn't staunch anti-faith. He had faith. But he said the majesty of it grabbed him when my brother and I were born. When you look at such a beautiful little thing, go, <gasps> and your breath gets taken away. Every human being ever has experienced that to some degree. So every human is given a basic knowledge of God. Go back to the list, please, guys. The basic knowledge of God. And every human being ever also has the idea of a moral law. Every human civilization ever, anthropologically speaking, has a set of morality. Most human civilizations understand stealing is wrong, lying is wrong, murder is wrong. And even in cultures, if they have different understandings of morality, here's what's true. Every society has the categories of morality of right or wrong, even if they're different. Right and wrong exist in every human civilization ever. This is because God's trying to reveal himself to people. And then not only is there categories of moral law, there's what's called conscience, where you're given a conscience, where you feel bad if you break one of these for some reason. Do you remember the first time you got conscience-stricken about something? I do. Uh, do you remember Albertson's grocery stores? So um, I, when I was growing up in the Tampa area, we went to Albertson's, and they used to have in grocery stores in the deli area those big bins where you could get scoops of candy and put them in bags. Y'all remember that? And they had a big bin of, of candy runts, and I used to like runts. And, I'm, and I looked at them, and they looked really good and delicious, and my mom said no and whatever. And then a little voice came in my ear and said, just take no one will ever know. And so at nine years old, I opened the bin when no one was looking, and I reached in, and I grabbed a red apple runt, which isn't it ironic that it was an apple? <laughs> the devil is a liar! Yeah. And I stole it and ate it. And I was conscience-stricken because I stole something. And I remember being at home at night and I couldn't sleep because I felt so bad about it. And not only were we given conscience, we're given free will. And free will is not only the, the ability to choose right or wrong. Like I chose wrong, but it's also God graciously gives the people the ability to reach back to him when they've done wrong. I free will chose to try to reach back to God. I remember called my mom in my room that night and told her I'd stolen something and asked her to pray with me that God would forgive me. I was nine years old. I didn't have faith in Jesus yet, but I had this sense that this was wrong. And every human being has this. Now, God doesn't give us moral law and conscience and we feel bad and free will to be able to choose the good, so we feel bad. He does these things so that when we break the moral law, he can forgive it and reconcile us to himself. Amen? All right, and then God also, lastly, restrains evil in the world. Like, it's a miracle that humanity has not totally eaten ourselves yet. 
I know it got a little hairy there in 2020. Like, we'll go outside and which chapter of the apocalypse is today? I don't know. It got bad, but there's a reason humanity has endured this long without completely destroying ourselves. This is totally relevant right now with Oppenheimer and the movie theaters and the dialogue about nuclear weapons and all this stuff. God has not allowed humanity to end itself yet. Why? 2 Peter 3.9 says this. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you. Here it is, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone come to repentance. This is verses in context of why God has not allowed the end of the world to happen yet. God hasn't allowed the end of the world to happen yet because he doesn't want anybody to perish. And he wants everyone to come to repentance and to be reconciled to him. This is how God generally is working in the world. And no matter who you are, every person in this room and every person watching online now or later on YouTube or on podcast, all of us, God is doing these things in your life right now. Now, what's unique is that God not only does this generally, but then God personally steps in. And beyond just generally revealing to you that he exists, he then wants to personally get your attention with personal revelation. Back to Genesis 28, verse 15. Look at this here. God then goes to say, I am with you, Jacob, and I will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land and I will not leave you until I've done what I have promised you. Which is fascinating. If you think about this huge stairway to heaven and God says to him, I am with you, notice the grammar in the language. Wouldn't it be weird if God was on the top of a staircase going, I'm with you, you, you. It's like, and the Hebrew indicates this. Listen carefully. That God, instead of Jacob climbing the ladder or the staircase, God came down the staircase to Jacob. This is totally different than every other God in ancient Mesopotamia, where he said, I am with you, and I'll watch over you wherever you go. See, God then began to personally reveal himself to Jacob, like, I'm the God of your family, but I want a relationship with you, young man. And as God begins to generally reveal himself in your life, then God wants to personally get your attention in your life and in your circumstances. He's reaching out to you. The way God did this for me as a young man, many of you have heard the story of how um, my family came to faith, um, where my dad and my brother and my mom were having a spiritual awakening, and I could feel what I thought was God on them, and I wanted what they had. And um, so I started to, God was getting my attention. And then at my church, they gave me a Bible just like we give Bibles out, especially on days like today. And here's the Bible I got from Promotion Sunday when I was going into fourth and fifth grade. And if you can't tell them from the mid-90s, you can now. <laughs> like, right? And uh, in this Bible here, I opened up, I don't know why I did, but for some reason, somebody told me, to read Matthew chapter 5. And to this day, it's still my favorite chapter in the whole Bible. And right here, these lines, 
is when God went from being the God of my father and my mother and my brother when he began to talk to me in the pages of scripture. It was like he was speaking directly to me, Trevor, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they'll be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they'll see God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God. God will start to talk to you because he wants you. And he's doing that right now for you. But do you have eyes to see it? Last thing. God generally reveals himself and then personally will reveal himself to you so that you understand what ultimate revelation is all about. And as God comes down the stairway of heaven to come be with you, you can then get a closer up look of what he looks like and sounds like, metaphorically speaking. Somebody comes closer to you, you'll know what they look like a lot more. Do you want to know what God looks like? God looks like Jesus. Notice this here in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. It says, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. If you want to know who is God and what God looks like, just look at Jesus. The great theologian E. Stanley Jones once said this. He said, if the finest spirits of the human race should sit down and think out the kind of God they would like to see in the universe, his moral and spiritual likeness would gradually form like unto the Son of Man. He goes on, The greatest news that has ever been broken to the human race is the news that God is like Christ. And the greatest news that we can break to that non-Christian world is just that, that the God whom you have dimly realized, but about whose character you are uncertain, who is God? God is like Christ. Christ. So for some of you, you're just like Jacob. Your faith is becoming your own. It's not your grandparents' faith. It's not your parents' faith. It's becoming your own faith. And you're trying to navigate this. What do you do? Simple. One, Learn to just recognize that God is showing up in your life and trying to get your attention. Do you notice what Jacob said at the end of the story after his dream, which if I was him at first, I thought that was a weird dream. It was because he used a rock for a pillow, but you know, whatever. (laughs) He woke up and said, go back and look at it. It's not on the screen, but go back and look at it later. Say, God was in this place and I didn't realize it. God is moving in your life right now. And if you move too fast, you can miss it. Recognize that God and his love is trying to reveal his presence in your life. And if you already are a Christ follower, 
just remember how he did it for you. And say thank you to him for it. And then go help him reveal himself to other people all around you. Praise God. Would you pray with me? So Lord Jesus, we thank you. How you're the God who reveals yourself to us. That you're not sitting high up on a throne, stuffy, angry with us and waiting for humanity to just figure it out and then we might get to walk up the stairs. You're the God that in love walked down the stairs and took on human form in Jesus Christ to show us what you're really like because you want a relationship with us. That will never stop blowing my mind and God, I pray you give us all grace to never get over that. Would you give us grace this week to recognize how you're working in our lives? how you're awakening us to your presence in our lives. Give us grace to remember what you've done so we can carry it to others. It's in your name we pray and all God's people said. We're gonna have prayer team on either side here. If you need prayer for anything, come this way before you go that way. Otherwise, go in God's peace. We'll see you next week.